speak to me. So Kanye West, you know, is is like a foreign 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 land for me. And then uh, same for me. I, I, I don't relate to his music. I don't relate to his his rhetoric. I, I don't, you know, I don't relate to almost anything about him. I don't relate to his choices in life. I don't relate to his experiences in life. I don't relate to his clothing. I don't relate to why people have put him on a pedestal. I don't relate to why people pay him attention. This is all a foreign land to me. This is all really challenging because it does not come naturally to me to like extend my empathy to someone with whom I feel virtually nothing in common. He he's not someone that I would choose to spend five minutes with. And so I really have to, you know, work to try to like understand the world as he understands it. And so I think what's going on with, with Kanye is a whole combination of things. Uh, one, I mean, self-destruction and social destruction has been apparently written into his, his whole career. Like he he's said and done crazy things throughout throughout his his, his career. Uh, number two, he's just gone through a, a divorce, and divorce can like drive people crazy. Uh, number three, men frequently react to divorce by uh, sabotaging their income and their wealth to try to reduce the the payout to the other party. Uh, four, he's he's now a born again Christian. And he's he's a Christian baby, as he says it. So he's having this whole new intense religious experience. And then I think perhaps the, the most powerful thing that uh, may be operating here is that according to Kanye, he is an alcoholic. And uh, Kanye said that when he wrote the tweet, uh, tomorrow I'm going DEFCON 3 on the Jews, he was both drinking and smoking. And I assume when he said smoking, he wasn't meaning cigarettes. <laughs> so this is also someone who's, said that he has all sorts of personality disorders. So he certainly seems like a walking, talking version of various personality disorders, such as you know, narcissistic personality disorder. So you've got a whole bunch of things going on here. And then there's another element. When people get red pill, they often get discombobulated. Like when they realize that they've been lied to about certain things, they then think that they've been lied to about everything, including the moon landing. And the, the the world you know rotates around the sun. The, the world is is not flat, and so I think he's also being discombobulated by a red pilling, by his newfound Christianity, by his divorce, by the amount of money that he's needing to pay to Kim Kardashian, and I think he's being discombobulated by personality disorders. And most influential of all, it sounds like to me from an outside perspective, perhaps by his is uh, self-confessed alcoholism. He, he was under the influence of alcohol and apparently drugs when he made the initial tweet that started this self-destructive spiral. He hasn't backed down on it, though. One would think that after the uh, high of alcohol and drugs wear off, uh, the, the person would say, whoa, what the hell did I do? This is crazy, and then back down. But he's actually ratcheted things up to the point of identifying as a Nazi and uh, praising Hitler, even stating his love for Hitler. Uh, it doesn't get much more explicit than that. Uh, so it would seem that this, for him, is not just something done in some sort of stupor. Perhaps it was initially, uh, but it's something that is quite intentional at this point. Yeah, but it's intentional in, I mean, alcoholics and sex addicts and addicts and people under the force of compulsion do all sorts of uh, crazy things. Like if you're in a, in a bad state to, to begin with, then 
things will tend to spiral. I mean, I know in my life experience, I spiral, either spiral up or I spiral down. So I think spiraling is very common human experience. And if you've you've staked out a claim in one area, it's very normal to try to defend it. And then the more you defend it, the more you get attacked. And so the more you kind of hunker it down. Now, I, I don't think that uh, Kanye West is all about genocide. All right, I, list, I just finished listening to the complete Alex Jones interview. And when he says, I love Hitler, he means that in the Christian sense that he loves everyone, right? He talks about he loves Stalin. He loves Chairman Mao. He loves the Zionists. He loves Ari Emanuel. He loves his bitterest enemies. So nowhere does, does Kanye endorse genocide or any of the, the horrible things that Hitler did. So when a Christian talks about they love everyone, and I also love Hitler and Stalin and Mao, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are endorsing the genocide carried out by Hitler, Stalin, and Mao. So I don't think he's a you know, genocidal maniac. I don't think he intends harm to anyone. I think he's just uh, in the grip of, of new ideas in connection with these other things that are troubling him. So words are only 10% of communication. And, and even if you just look at the words that Kanye is saying, there's nothing in that in there that he's endorsing starting a world war, that he's endorsing concentration camps, that he's endorsing repressing people, making legal legislation against people on, on the basis of their ethnicity or their, their religion. There's none of like none of the horrible things that we all associate with Hitler is Kanye endorsing. So he's making a rhetorical point that he's willing to go there, say something that's the craziest thing you could possibly say. Like, you know, I love Hitler, but he's saying it in, in a Christian context that he loves everyone. So you just hear I love Hitler sounds absolutely mad, particularly in an Anglo country. The United States still has you know substantial Anglo heritage. And so does Australia and England. Yeah, it sounds absolutely mad because these countries fought against Hitler and Nazis in World War Two. But that's not the context in which he's speaking. He's speaking as a newfound Christian who's who feels like he's stumbling onto a better way of living, which involves loving everyone. and that includes the most heinous people around, in, including the people who you will receive the most social opprobrium to, to love. Nowhere do I sense any meanness in what Kanye is saying. Of course, he also denied the Holocaust. And in a tweet from his official 2024 Twitter account, uh, he identified as a Nazi. I, I, I think perhaps... He was a. I, I think that there are probably different things going on. I think that he has this sort of, uh, in his mind, Christian perspective that you were talking about, which has unconditional love for all people. Uh, I also think that at a certain point, he's just spiraling and he could go from this sort of Christian love to something more malicious, even though he has not endorsed, you know, uh, inflicting genocide on people, as you mentioned. Uh, I think that uh, he's very unstable. And he could basically be, uh, <laughs> and this is sort of in accordance with these mental illnesses, which he's admitted to having, he could basically have one uh, personality from one moment to the next. And that would certainly make him very inconsistent and coherent and uh, quite possibly dangerous. Yeah. And so I, I'm also, I'm unbothered that he is receiving so much opprobrium. Like he brought it on himself. I don't share the perspective of the mainstream media that here the most prominent thing you need to know about Kanye is that he, he loves Hitler. I don't, I don't share that. I, I don't believe that the most prominent, the most important things you need to know about Nick Fuentes is that he's a, a white nationalist or an anti-Semite or a Holocaust denier. 
these I think are incidental to their their own unique expression of Christianity and their own unique uh, pushing back against uh, conventional wisdom and and public speech codes. When you when you listen to Kanye and Nick Fuentes, they're not about doing harm to Jews, generally speaking. Now they say wacky things about the Holocaust, which frequently uh, presages you know deeply disturbed people who who are bent on harm. And it's entirely possible that uh, Kanye and Nick could uh, trigger individuals to do bad things, provide a temporary sense of unity for people who don't like Jews or who are antisocial. They feel like they found commonality with a celebrity. They found a new community. So there is some downside, but that's not the primary thing that leads to groups killing groups. The primary thing that leads groups killing groups is profound conflicts of interest. So I think it's entirely possible that even more people will be dissuaded against anti-Semitism and mm-hmm. against Holocaust denial and against you know white nationalism by the what appears to be or what is presented as this Kanye West, Nick Fuentes, Milo Yiannopoulos clown show. Mm-hmm. It definitely is a clown show. Now, there are some people who actually like what Kanye West is doing because they think that it will, quote unquote, mainstream anti-Semitism. I agree with you that it's very unlikely this will happen. As a matter of fact, it's uh, certainly harming the cause of anti-Semitism. Uh, and uh, obviously, I don't think that's a bad thing that that this uh, <laughs> that this concept is being uh, having crazy sauce poured all over it. However, uh, I do think that some of the people who think that in some way, shape, or form, what Ye, as he calls himself, and what Fuentes are doing, uh, the people who think that this is somehow a po- positive endeavor or productive endeavor, these people uh, must be tremendously disturbed. And I would imagine they would be unstable enough to do something quite terrible if given the opportunity. Right. So when you're dealing with antisocial, disturbed people, you don't want to be encouraging things that set them off. On the other hand, we don't need to give up free, you know, other values. It's not like there's only one value in life, and that is to minimize the chance that the crazy, dysfunctional, antisocial people go off in, in a harmful way. There are also other values such as uh, free discussion, freedom of speech, you know, just uh, opening the whole panoply of ideas and discussing them rationally so that uh, certain disturbed individuals could misuse something that doesn't mean that we say keep the, the speed limit at 10 miles an hour. So if we kept the speed limit at 10 miles an hour, uh, 20,000 Americans a year would, would not die in auto accidents. But it would you know, considerably crimp our way of life. And if we restrict speech to the equivalent of driving a maximum of 10 miles an hour, that would have such a negative effect on our, our quality of life that it would not be worth it. And I don't believe, I've not seen evidence that there's a high correlation between quote-unquote hate speech, which has no objective meaning, and hateful behavior. So we have millions of examples in history where people say hateful things without there being any mass murder or or genocide. So on the other hand, it it makes sense that sometimes hateful rhetoric does lead to hateful behavior. I just don't think, I'm just not convinced that the correlation is particularly high because there's no objective definition of hate speech that would not include the Bible. And I certainly would not want to see the the Bible banned or restricted. So when people say, you know, bad language leads to bad behavior, I I think, yeah, probably in some instances it does. But from my understanding of reality, that's a really low correlation. And the amount of correlation matters. It's not like it's one-to-one. Someone who says something bad is then going to do something 
But it seems to me it's more like a, a ratio of 0.1. The correlation is is quite low. It's it's even 0.01. It, it's nothing like a a really strong correlation. Uh, and no, I agree entirely that just because some people can say terrible things, speech should not be uh, curtailed. Uh, that's I, I, that that's argument that I would argue against uh, vociferously. And I certainly don't think that uh, you know someone like Ye or Kanye, whatever, should go to jail as he might in a European country or in Canada for saying what he said. Uh, I, I, I don't believe that at all. So that's definitely not a road I would like to, to go down. Uh, I, I think what's interesting is that he seemingly was speaking of speech, was trying to get banned on Twitter because he was really pushing Musk's buttons personally, let alone about matters to do with Jewry. Uh, and it was almost like he was trying to get banned. I don't know why he wanted to get banned from Twitter. But uh, for what I could tell, he was uh, being personally insulting to Musk and saying ever edgier things after Musk gave him an opportunity, after he reinstated his account in the first place and then gave him opportunity after opportunity to chill out uh any idea on what this might amount to with regard to yay's uh behavior worldview so on so forth but he doesn't respect normal social cues which is why i would be concerned about being in in the same room with him it just doesn't seem like an appetizing thing to me so he's always when he's when he's being interviewed, he's always wanting to set limits. He responds, uh, you know, very badly to, you know, people like uh, Tim Poole, who's, you know, a fairly inoffensive guy. He is constantly wanting to, you know, impose his will on other people, what we can and cannot say. Uh, the, the bizarre, you know, costume that he went on Alex Jones with. So he's not somebody who responds to normal social cues. He seems driven to, to push people you know, to their limit. Uh, and as someone who's done that myself, to always be testing people, I know what a, a destructive spiral that is. And so he seems to need to test people to, you know, feel at ease that they really do like and respect him. And so he tests people, you know, way beyond their limits. And so people respond by not liking you and by putting limits on you. I don't know how anyone would interact with ye without you know, fairly quickly putting self-protective limits on him because otherwise it seems like he'd just, you know, run you over, take over the conversation. And so there's there's this weird hypermania, like grandiosity, you know, narcissism with him that, you know, anyone who has to interact with him is immediately going to put, put limits on him. There's, there's like an insane overestimation of his own abilities and his own potential and his own, you know, capability and so this drives people, and I know I've experienced this myself, this that drives people to put limits on you. And then the, the narcissist and the grandiose personality, like myself and like Kanye, they, we, we react very badly to limits and we just double down, which usually leads to a self-destructive spiral and you know an antisocial direction, which seems to be what uh, is happening with Kanye. Now, what about his 2024 presidential bid, which was announced, but it's not officially a thing yet in terms of uh, uh, a legal organization? Uh, he can't accept donations, basically. That's what I'm saying. Uh, what do you think uh, this is? Do you think he's seriously trying to run for president, or do you think this is just some vehicle for him to get attention? Uh, purely from the start, that's what it was intended to be, or maybe something else. Am I on the wrong track? I think it's just grandiosity. I mean, isn't that the, the most American thing? Like, isn't there you know, a story that, you know, Amer every American kid thinks he can grow up to become president one day, but 
if you're a great person, then you know, would you run for for president? So, you know, would Tom Brady run for president? Well, back in the day, would would David Petraeus run for president? You know, Dwight Eisenhower is a great general, so well, he run for president. So we're influenced by the society that we're in, and there's kind of an ethos in America that if you are great or seem to be great, then people start talking about you running for president, and then the grandiose personality will seize on that. And go, oh yeah, why not me? Why not me? So I don't think it's serious. He's not, he's not someone who strikes me as capable of running a serious political campaign, but it does seem like a typical discussion that someone with a grandiose sense of themselves would indulge in. Now, uh, there is the theory, and I believe you began to touch on this earlier, that Kanye slash Ye slash West uh, decided to do this uh, to do this whole meltdown because he wants to minimize his net worth so he does not have to pay Kim Kardashian uh, over $2 million a year, $200,000 a month in child support payments. So she's much wealthier than he is, so that on its own has to sting. She also very publicly carries on with other men, so that has to sting worse. So obviously, yay, Kanye West's uh, financial situation is, is quite terrible with this judgment, but the fact that he's paying someone who has more money than him and who's going to be publicly carrying on with other men uh, as he gives her money, uh, that just has to make it worse emotionally. So do you think that he has the intelligence or uh, wherewithal to uh, plan out something like this all along just to make it a sort of uh, basically uh, pseudo-asset protection scheme, this meltdown, uh, knowing that it would cause him to lose all this money? Or do you think that that point of view, given someone like Kanye, is probably not accurate? Any take on it? I think it's probably a a factor in, in the background. I don't think it's the driving factor. Another factor in the background is that uh, earlier this year he was planning to cut ties with middlemen such as Adidas and other companies that he was working with because I think it's very common among many successful people that they think they can cut out the middleman and become even more successful. So Kanye wanted his own bank. He wanted to run his own you know, clothing operation. He wants to run for, for president. And so it's, I think it's very typical for many celebrities and successful people to want to cut out the middleman. And so I think this was perhaps an even larger factor than wanting to, you know, reduce his net worth so he doesn't have to pay out to Kim Kardashian. So I think a lot of these factors kind of coalesce. So the, the grandiosity that you don't need the middleman, grandiosity that, you know, why not me? You know, why, why can't I be president? The taking the red pill and thinking that, you know, now I've got insight into basic truths that uh, the conventional discussion does not allow uh, the sense that, you're, you're special and that you don't have to play by the normal rules of the game. I think, I think all these factors are coalescing into this, this uh, spiral. Now, when you watch Alex Jones, it, his, his appearance on Alex Jones, it is compelling. And I wanted to just be able to dismiss it as, you know, just a complete clown show because I don't relate to Kanye West in, in any normal way. But when I watched it, it did have a compelling quality. He's not just a madman. There, there are other things going on there, and he's not just an idiot. So if you rationally examine some things he's saying, such as, okay, you know, bl blacks are in, having their own Holocaust due to the high rates of abortion, you can, you can understand his 
you know, you can understand that point of view. It's not a crazy point of view. When he when he points out maybe that all his managers or agents were Jewish, that that might be right. That you know, there are a disproportionate number of Jews in Hollywood or in the agent in game or in management or in the middleman positions. You know, that's not a crazy thing to point out. And I, I he's he made more sense in the Alex Jones interview than I expected. I thought just stark raving, mad, you know, total clown show. It wasn't that. It also had a compelling uh, compelling nature to it that wasn't just purely train wreck, right? There was a large degree of, of train wreck in what Kanye is doing. But if, if you're like me, if you really push and extend your empathy, you can kind of get a sense that he is like trying to touch on some powerful and important and thought-provoking issues. He just does it in a way that's it's not congenial to how I like to talk about things. Yeah, there's uh, th- th- actually something I really want to get into with regard to him. But before I do that, touching on something we discussed before, Christianity, uh, he did describe himself, as you said, as a baby Christian. But if one looks at how he's acting, such as uh, how he acts in various situations, this bizarre play for dominance, being very impolite, uh, you know, saying things that are gratuitously offensive, none of this really gels with Christianity, Uh, even though the New Testament contradicts itself. uh, There are some general themes in there, and I think it's fair to say that Kanye is not acting in a very uh, Christ-like manner. I'm not a Christian myself, neither are you, but I think even we could, could see as much. Do you think that the hypocrisy of this situation uh, is something which weighs on him at all, or do you think maybe he doesn't take the religion seriously enough to have a weigh on him, or is it something else? Anything to say about this? Yeah, I'm not sure how seriously he takes his Christianity. Uh, I'm not sure how seriously Nick Fuentes takes his Christianity, because I don't see where it, where it is biting into their natural appetites. Like if they're really taking Christ seriously, then you would see that it would have an inhibitory effect on indulging their their basic drives. And and Kanye makes it very clear that while he's all for Christ and God, he doesn't want it to restrict his access to supermodels. And so if he gets to a point where he is, you know, feeling restricted to a monogamous way of life and Perhaps uh, if, if he is indeed an alcoholic, then he should not be drinking and probably should not be smoking and doing drugs. If if we see that it's having a serious inhibitory effect on his, his basic appetites, then I think we can take his, his claims of Christianity more seriously. But right now, it seems like Christianity is more something that he's using rather than something that is working through him. So like with, with Nick Fuentes, one sees no evidence of of uh, Christianity inhibiting anything that he wants to do. It's, it seems very much like another tool that Nick Fuentes is using for his own self-advancement and as a political and social approach to, to reshaping society in a way that he finds congenial. So I expect that everybody's going to try to reshape society in ways that they find congenial, but Nick and, and Kanye don't seem to be paying any price for their you know, Christ is King declarations. And it's only when you see people actually paying a price that, that you think, oh, yeah, they're, they're not just talking the talk. They're also walking the walk. So right now it looks like Christianity is just another thing that uh, Kanye is using to advance itself. 
I agree with that entirely. Uh, now, talking about who uh, Ye slash Kanye slash West is, he made a very, uh, in, in, probably the most important statement he's made since this nonsense began uh, to Tim Poole. He said that he is not someone who is uh, personally developed for his age. He said that his personal development stopped in his early 20s because at that point he became famous and he started outsourcing all of his personal responsibilities to other people. So as a result, Kanye slash Ye slash West today is very immature. And this is something that he admits. Uh, and I also think he's probably of naturally low intelligence. I don't think he is, I don't think he is, uh, uh, mentally defective or anything like that. I, I think he has probably has an IQ in the 80s, uh, which is intelligent enough to do certain things, but you know the guy is never going to be a biochemist. However, uh, I think that if you combine his uh, low intelligence and his severely uh, retarded personal development, which is not talking about uh, IQ in that regard, it's talking about how what his uh, maturity rate is, uh, I, I think that he uh, is someone who is uniquely predisposed to doing crazy things and to uh, to do stuff without expecting any sort of consequences for his actions. And I think he's been indulged by no shortage of people uh, from many different walks of life over the years, over the decades. And now perhaps him having to account for what he's doing is causing him to just lose touch with reality and live more in a fantasy. And that certainly opens him up to people like uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, Ali Akbar, now he calls himself Ali Alexander. Uh, and then uh, there is the presence of uh, Nick Fuentes, too. Uh, so it's, it's, it's an interesting and a very sad state of affairs. Anything to say about what I brought up? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, number one, I think what unites people like Alex Jones, Ali Akbar, uh, Nick Fuentes, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, and uh, Kanye West is their you know, overwhelming grandiosity and the, their willingness to, to go to where the attention lies. I think this unites them much more powerfully than any particular ideology this unites them more than anti-Semitism or you know, white nationalism or American nationalism or the MAGA movement. That you know, these are people you know strongly bent on self-advancement, going to where the attention goes. Uh, number two, Neil Strauss, a Rolling Stone journalist, made the point that uh, pretty much every rock star he, he met and, and got to know had the ability to one, you know, captivate you know a large audience. And number two, be absolutely helpless at the normal tasks of, of daily life. And I, I think that goes for Kanye West, but I think that would probably be, be true for a lot of other people in, mm -hmm. in his yeah. genre. I think this is just pretty common to celebrities. And so at least with, with Kanye, you do get at times um, some self-awareness and some humility that is, that is kind of winning. That is, you know, he has a kind of a, a weird charisma about it. It, it's a very uh, bizarre, interesting situation. Now, what about this whole thing with Fuentes and such? Now, Fuentes is interesting because, as we both know, 
he he uh was until what basically a few days ago this euro-american traditionalist focused on euro-american history heritage and culture and he actually has done things which could uh fairly be described as white nationalist or white supremacist he certainly has dipped his uh toes into that pool uh however now he is in a servile position to a, a black man who acts in a very uh I don't know, to say stereotypical sounds uh, a bit nasty, but he acts in a way that is not becoming uh, with regard to Afro-American stereotypes. Uh, so Fuentes basically has done a 180, it seems, on the racial issue, and I don't think he's even bringing up race much nowadays for obvious reasons. Uh, what do you think is going on with Fuentes here? Because this is a rather uh, shocking uh, pivot uh, from, from my perspective with regard to him. I, I think Fuentes is... Shocking, and I don't think he is pivoting. He's he's never primarily made it his thing to denigrate black people. He's never he's never really been a white nationalist. Uh, Mickey Kaus made made this point in his uh, weekly parrot room discussions with Robert Wright that uh, Nick Fuentes, to the extent he's an anti semite, he's he's unlike you know all our previous understandings of anti semites. He, he is not primarily about trying to hurt the Jews. Uh, if he is a white nationalist, he's unlike you know pretty much any other white nationalist we, we've seen before. So I don't think anti-Semite, Holocaust and white nationalists really primarily apply to to Nick. Nick is a fairly conservative guy with some you know open uh, race realist attitudes and some Jewish skepticism that was you know a large part of traditional Christianity. So Nick doesn't really speak that differently than hundreds of thousands of Christians prior to World War II. So Nick is simply refusing to to obey the new speech codes that have essentially applied to Christians since World War II, since the Holocaust, that you know they need to become more Jew-sensitive. Uh, my father was born in 1929, and he had the same kind of Jew-skeptical attitudes of uh, Nick Fuentes. I, I don't think like Holocaust denial is a primary part of uh, Nick's campaign. He, he made one joke about it. Now, Kanye keeps denying the Holocaust, but he hasn't, he's not presenting any evidence. He's obviously not a scholar. He's not someone who's thinking things through. So I, I think with, with Nick, this is, I would, I would be, my bent would be to look for a through line. So I, I think people make sense, at least in, in their own head. So hating blacks was never, you know, a large part of, of Nick Fuentes. He is someone with, it's kind of a make America great mission, you know, whether it's with Trump or without Trump. He's someone with pre-World War II Christian attitudes on, on life, you know, very common attitudes. And so he is seeing a, a new opportunity. But uh, Nick strikes me as a pretty stable guy. So he doesn't strike me as unstable like Kanye West. He doesn't strike me as unstable like Milo Yiannopoulos. He doesn't strike me as criminally inclined like Ali Akbar. Uh, Nick, Nick, under tremendous pressure and having you know tremendous success over the past four years, has, has maintained himself in a, in a fairly consistent fashion. He may emphasize one thing more or less depending on on context. But what, what strikes me about Nick is that he is consistent, that he's able to maintain a high level of stability, and he's. He's 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 tremendously gifted. He he is charismatic. He he does do things that you know not one person in ten thousand could do. He's able to you know hold down a show on his own for 
two hours at night and get thousands upon thousands of live viewers. This is unique. So he is he is gifted. He's he's smart. He's glib. He's he's articulate. He he does seem to believe in things, and I think he's willing to try something new. And if it doesn't work out, he'll just go back to go back to his show. So while uh, Milo and Ali Akbar and you know Kanye, I think are highly emotionally unstable. Uh, Nick strikes me as a fairly stable guy, and and I do see a consistency with with what he's doing. I do see a through line with what he's doing, and I think if, if it doesn't work out, he'll just pivot to something else. Now, there's recently a video of him throwing a, a soda on somebody at, at a restaurant, but the context of that is they first threw ketchup on him. So if someone throws ketchup on you, it is not irrational or necessarily unhealthy for you to respond by you know throwing a soda back at them. So uh, Nick has not displayed the sort of self-destruction of, of Richard Spencer or you know, many other distant right figures. So he has you know, surprisingly held his, himself together uh, during the past five years. And so I, I don't anticipate him uh, flaming out. Like he may completely split from Kanye and, and Milo, and apparently Milo has left now the Kanye campaign over Nick Fuentes, and Kanye is, is siding with, with Nick. But uh, when, when this boat ride's over for, for Nick, I, I think he's going to be okay and he'll just move on to the next thing. I think Fuentes is, uh, I don't think he's uh, unstable as Kanye uh, is or Milo or Ali <laughs> Alexander. Uh, nowadays, he's called Alexander. Uh, I, I would say that Fuentes is unstable in his own way in terms of saying things that are incendiary uh, and serve no productive role, seemingly just because he enjoys saying them. Uh, it's mild stuff like saying that uh, I believe he said the dinosaurs existed a few thousand years ago, which is a perspective rejected by Roman Catholicism, which he purportedly uh, is uh, an adoration of. Then he's made statements about women being uh, inherently evil. He's talked about burning uh, female females alive as witches. Uh, he's also fantasized about raping men on his show. Uh, he also was caught, despite his hardcore anti-gay posturing, uh, with transvestite pornography, and that was only because he mistakenly revealed it during a live stream. Uh, so, I mean, he's done a lot of things. I mean, this isn't even beginning to, to, to scratch the surface. Uh, I don't know how stable he is. I think he is someone who can hold it down, hold it together, more than uh, Kanye slash Ye slash Wester or the others I mentioned. But I, I do think that uh, Fuentes in and of himself is a guy with some serious issues, put mildly. And it seems to me that his greatest hatred is not for Jews. His, even though he's harping anti-Semitism now uh, tremendously, even more than he used to in the past. But I think it's probably for women. Uh, and uh, it's it's rather interesting because he has talked about how men being a pseudo romantic with each other a term that i believe he described as being quote unquote sussy uh is or pseudo sexual if you want to be more blunt uh he said it's based so i it seems to me that that he is definitely someone with a uh a dislike for women of a certain kind but at the same time he has a public image of somebody who dislikes gays uh and i would say that this inherent contradiction in puentes probably inspires him to do a lot of this stuff. And if this contradiction were not there, he'd probably be a much more productive person. Right. So it's, it's kind of a lot of, you know, weird behavior. And I was just listening to his appearance on Alex Jones with Kanye. And he talked about how 
Israel had uh, murdered John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy. I mean, that's just nuts. There's no, there's no evidence for that. So Nick does say a lot of things that are just nuts. And he's, he's probably, if you just place him in the genre, he's an entertainer with, you know, a political component. And so just like uh, you shouldn't be shocked if a stand-up comic says something that's factually inaccurate, uh, Nick is, is really doing a form of, of stand-up on his on his shows, on his public appearances, with, with a more substantial political component compared to most uh, stand-ups. Now, he you know apparently doesn't doesn't care for women. Uh, he, he wouldn't be the first person who's you know deeply closeted homosexual who perhaps you know takes on the role of, of incel, even though he's not involuntarily celibate, because I'm sure there, there are a lot of women and men who'd like to get with him. But uh, I think he's just like left these doors closed, uh, the, the sexual expression. So if it's, it's true, he's, he's still a virgin. He's just chosen to close those doors, as, as many great men in history have. They've you know, decided, okay, there are certain doors in my life that I'm going to keep closed so that I can get certain things done. Now, I'm sure this has a warping effect on him, but it also... Uh, may have some beneficial effects in that it, it focuses his energy on his career and on his production. So, yeah, everything comes with a cost. And so if he was out sleeping around or if he was married, if he had kids, right, those things would all come with a cost and they would all restrict his, his live streaming. Uh, at the same time, he, he's warped by the, the lack of intimacy in his life. He apparently doesn't have friends. You know, he just either has followers or allies, and he's you know, not in romantic relationships. So I'm, I'm sure that warps him, gives him a distorted view of life. On the other hand, kind of like a monk, it kind of frees him up to dedicate himself to his holy calling of, of live streaming. So, of course, that's going to come through in a, a warped and dysfunctional way, but he's not immolating like, say, Richard Spencer did. Uh, and this is a question about, well, actually, it's a question I had intended for Ye slash Connie slash West, but since we're talking about Fuentes, I'll ask it about him then, West. Uh, do you think that Fuentes really believes most of what he says, or do you think it's all sort of like an act for him just lashing out on pure emotion? Uh, what do you think? I think it's a combo. So he is an entertainer, and I, I watched a YouTube video on how to to excel at doing YouTube live streams, whether you're a gamer or someone just talking. And it and it makes the point you should just start throwing off everything in your head, you know, except that which will, you know, get you in trouble. And so to be good at what we're doing now, it is really helpful to be incredibly candid and, you know, share a lot of, you know, crazy things that go on in your head. And so that's part of what makes Nick so successful is that, you know, he just shares, you know, a lot of crazy things in his head that uh, normal people would, would never share. I, I do think, though, that there is like a, a fundamental through line in his in his politics. So yeah, I believe that he, he believes you know half of what he says, and then the other half of what he says just thinks he's throwing off. What about Kanye slash Ye slash West? Do you think, because I don't think he'd be as calculated as Fuentes is in terms of anything that he says or how he goes about his public life, his extremely public life. Uh, do, do you think that he really believes what he's saying about this stuff or you think he's just 
sort of spouting off. Uh, there was the argument that's all a lie calculated to get his net worth down to zero so he doesn't have to pay Kardashian, who once again is wealthier, carrying off with other men. And those two things, I think, would just make a lot of men want to reduce their wealth out of spite so they don't have to pay this person. That much is understandable. But uh, I, I would also say that I don't think that Ye slash West slash Kanye is intelligent enough to, to, to pull something like that off. Right. So th- this reminds me of a story I reported in, in the porn industry where there's this male actor who is apparently transmitting HIV to a couple of dozen uh, porn stars. And so was he doing this intentionally because he, he altered his test to you know, be able to keep uh, performing? And the guy was doing so many drugs that I, I'm not sure you know, how much of his, his right faculties he, he was in. And so the, the way that Kanye speaks and acts seems to me from an outside perspective, they're pretty common to other people working in his genre. And so I don't generally see a whole lot of calculation and thought and, and rationality and philosophical depth and profundity in, in his genre. So he seems like you know, pretty much any other uh, rapper is just that he's you know, rapping about now his newfound love of Jesus and his newfound love of being red pilled. And it, it just seems, it, it just, it's so uncomfortable to try to take these people seriously. Now, I, I guess we have to, because like he's got 35 million uh, following, but I, I don't see how he's, he's, he's less coherent or, you know, less rational than other members of his genre. Yeah, now here's an interesting thing. I, I was saying that when well, I spoke about my perspective of uh, Kanye slash Yay slash West not being uh, intelligent, uh, some people said, or somebody said, I, I think it was only one person, uh, you know, this guy made a billion dollars. He he became this uh, music icon, blah, blah, blah. And I responded something to the effect of, well, it doesn't take any genius to become a successful rapper. Rap is a very primitive form of music, and uh, one need not be very intellectual in order to rise to the to- top of the totem pole, something like that. Then I also discuss the fact that uh, this guy had been managed by people who are much more intelligent than he is in order to build his, uh, you know, now collapsed business uh, empire uh, and uh, <laughs> left to his own devices. He'd never be able to carry that on as we see today. So I don't think he is a man of any great intelligence or wisdom or insight. Uh, I think that's very ironic that he carries on against the Jews, considering that uh, it was certain Jews, uh, not the Jewish community on the whole, but certain Jews who made his career uh, so uh, so spectacularly successful. I mean, you know, they were the ones who were negotiating these deals for him. They were the ones who were trying to keep on the straight and narrow financially. They were the ones who were trying to manage his behavior from, you know, to, to prevent the sort of meltdown that's going on now, basically. And yet he turns on these people. He basically bit the hand which fed him. Uh, and uh, now he's just lashing out. This is sort of very infantile, childlike behavior. And it does actually make a lot of sense in the context of him still being developmentally speaking uh, a young man even though he's uh, in his, in his mid-40s now so 
it's really something. I actually think that uh, if you were to look at this rationally, you would see that uh, the Jews, whom he uh, dislikes, uh, really without them, uh, he wouldn't have been much of anything. And of course, you know, uh, the only Jews who had an influence over his career in a major way are the ones who are directly involved with it. But uh, all the same, uh, I, I think that perhaps uh, a lot of his anti-Semitism is rooted in him being rather ungrateful and egotistical and uh, just uh, perhaps plain nasty personality-wise. I even heard him blaming uh, the you-know-whos for uh, Kim Kardashian having sex with Pete Davidson. Uh, It's really, really strange. He said that uh, the you-know-whos misled her as a quote-unquote good Christian woman, (laughs) end quote, to do this thing. Uh, And meanwhile, she's not even married to him anymore. Really bizarre stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he is he is bizarre from from my my perspective, and I think from most people's perspective. On the other hand, I do think he's considerably more intelligent than you give him credit for. I would I would say in IQ in the one twenties. So you know, I, I give him credit for the things that he's built. He has built approximately a, a billion dollar empire. Yeah, he had a lot of help with that, but you know, I don't know anyone else with an IQ in the eighties who developed a billion dollar empire even with a lot of help uh i mean normally people with an like i'm thinking the boxer muhammad ali he was illiterate uh, supposedly had an iq in the 70s uh he didn't build you know this this huge empire like you know he he went through money fairly easily so i, I do give kanye credit for for what he's built even though it's all a, a foreign foreign world to me and the the nasty part of Kanye is also the the charming part in that he's very spontaneous. He just you know says what's you know on his head, and so you know that that comes with lots of downsides, but it comes with lots of upsides. So you know apparently this is a man of it seems to me of considerable intelligence, uh, considerable talent, considerable ability, all in areas that are a foreign language to me. And he's a difficult person, but many people who have accomplished great things like Steve Jobs also have, have been very difficult people. So I, I don't think we can primarily primarily critique him on the basis of, of rationality. Obviously, Kanye West would, would fail, but perhaps we need to critique him primarily in terms of, of, life, of performance. And so just like uh, Richard Spencer, when he was a teenager, he thought he'd become a theater director one day. And that theatrical quality, I think, has pervaded everything that Richard Spencer has done publicly. I think that Kanye has the performer mentality where he wants to compel your attention, where he wants to you know, tell you stories that are that are new and exciting, that he wants to be cutting edge, that he always wants to be you know, breaking through barriers. And this, you know, this mentality you know, can lead you to some dark areas but it can also lead you to heights. Now, there are heights that are a completely foreign country to me. I, I can't speak Kanye. His, his success doesn't, doesn't speak to me. But I do respect that he has you know, accomplished things, even though they're, they're completely foreign to me. And I think all great artists, and it kills me to talk about Kanye as a great artist, but it's possible, apparently, that he is a great artist. You know, all great artists come with you know, these dramatic downsides like if, if they weren't out there exploring things and saying things that they're not supposed to they they wouldn't accomplish the the greatness and, and enough people testify to kanye's greatness that i have to be open 
to, you know, possibly he is a great artist just in an art that I don't understand. I, uh, where do you think this is going to go with Kanye slash Ye slash West? Uh, I mean, if he continues on his present trajectory, he's going to be, I mean, totally broke like uh, Skid Row with a crack pipe. Uh, uh, whether or not he'll continue on this trajectory, though, to me is the big question. Say in three years' time, where do you expect him to be? Uh, maybe Louis Farrakhan is is a good analogy. So normally you can't thrive in, in public life and be consistently critical of Jews. So normally you just get crushed. But Farrakhan has survived and he's been fairly consistently critical of Jews. So maybe Kanye will develop a, a niche following, so a much smaller following. He'll pay a huge financial price for, for what he's done. But he will, you know, find he's attracting, you know, a new a new audience and it may be very exciting for him. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say like a Louis Farrakhan, I think, would be a good analogy. He'll remain in public life. He'll remain essentially a persona non grata, but he'll be there kind of on the margins. Or a David Duke, right? You know, David Duke, you know, still shows up in, in the news. He's a, he's a punchline for, for a lot of jokes. But he still gets some news media attention. People still talk about him. So maybe, you know, a Farrakhan trajectory. It could be. Uh, I don't think that Kanye, I'm not a Farrakhan fan at all, needless to say, but I don't think that uh, Kanye slash Ye slash West has Farrakhan's discipline. Uh, so I don't think he'd be able to make it as a Farrakhan type figure. I think that this continues to literally just be some guy out on the street on Alameda in LA, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> who's a transient and, and losing it because, I mean, he's literally going to go through everything financially at this, at this rate uh, between his obligations to Kardashian, his obligations to the IRS, the fact that he no longer has this money coming in from these uh, merchandising agreements, uh, the royalties from his music obviously don't all go to him. There's a cut that goes to others uh, who managed him uh, and to his record label. So uh, I think that there is a uh, a real danger of him just completely uh, bottoming out financially and going into serious serious debt because it's obviously a child support judgment uh that's not going anywhere especially in a state like california so it's it's really uh sad that he's like this but i don't think he'll ever be anywhere i don't think he'll ever be uh as wealthy as he once was again and i don't know that he'll ever be able to pull himself to a point where he could just be self-sustaining financially yeah, I, I'm, I'm open to a more a more positive uh, trajectory to for, for Kanye than than you are, but uh, he he's made many surprising moves in his life. So he may you know find a surprising way to get out of this, and he may get some you know surprising guidance that he actually listens to. So I, I don't you know America loves redemption, and and so. I I I see positive things in his future. On the other hand, you know what happens to so many rappers? They they get shot. They they self destruct in, in so many ways. They you know, they get AIDS. You know they die frequently horrible deaths. Now I think he's considerably more intelligent than most rappers. That uh, I, I see a brighter future possibility for him. On the other hand, if he you know got institutionalized, if he did the ultimate in, in self-destruction. It wouldn't surprise me, 
But so 50% of me says, yeah, Cardo's right. Just, uh, you know, a continuing downward trajectory for, for Kanye West. Uh, 50% of me sees a, a more hopeful trajectory for, for Kanye. So I'm not at all sh- certain that he's, you know, headed for the bottom. And I'm also not at all certain that he's, you know, headed for in, in a positive direction. So I, I think his his life and his trajectory is still very much up in the air. I don't think he is doomed in, in any one direction. I don't think uh, fate is taking over this story and it's just, you know, we'll look back on it in, in 10 years and go, oh, yeah, of course he was just heading there. I still think it's it's up for grabs. I still think he can pull himself together. I think he can he can say things that uh, are less inflammatory, more helpful to people that are more pro-social, that uh, he might listen to you know, wiser heads, and uh, he might even turn this thing around. We shall see. Uh, for certain, we shall see. Now, uh, what do you think about uh, getting to, uh, to Milo and uh, to the Ali Akbar, uh, Ali Alexander now called Fella? With the, these guys, it says something very bad about Kanye that he allowed them as well as Fuentes to have such influence over him, given the track record of all three. But uh, Milo, uh, when one looks at him, he, he's openly admitted to having material that he uses against people that he... Uh, saved without their knowledge for the intent of using it against them so uh the fact that connie slash a slash west allowed himself to be surrounded by this element is something else anything to say about uh, and now of course milo's no longer affiliated with him but milo just came out and said uh in true milo form that kanye west uh propositioned him for gay sex (laughs) while they were working together so the fact that that Kanye slash Ye slash Wes allow himself to be surrounded by these people. I think says something very nasty about him. But anything to say, Luke, about these people who he has brought into his orbit? Yeah, so when when uh, the African National Congress was fighting its side in the battle against South Africa's apartheid regime, they welcomed support wherever they could get it. And I understand, you know, primarily or at least substantially came from communists. It and, did. Uh, and I, I don't think that that necessarily indicates a lot more than that they were willing to take help from any corner. And so I think Kanye is willing to take help from any corner. I think that the Candace Owens uh, relationship, so that's an ongoing relationship that he's had with Candace Owens for, for years. I think that's perhaps red-pilled him. And so he is, he is showing an openness and an eagerness and an interest in these various dissident right figures which he may well burn out on in the in the next three weeks or, or three months, but right now I think uh, Candace Owens red pilled him, and he's he's going along that trajectory. And everyone's got got a path in life, and you know as people walk along their path, they often realize, hey, I've taken a bad turn. Let me either retrace my steps or let me go in a completely different direction. So this is the path he's on right now, this kind of dissident right path, and like thousands of other people who've you know, falling in love with the distant right, he, he may well take, you know, a more a more pro-social turn. You know, he may, you know, go in a, in a new direction at, at any time. I, I don't think he is particularly wedded to, you know, Milo, Nick, uh, Ali Alexander, Alex Jones. It's just that right now these feel like his friends. And so as a celebrity, he probably isn't sure, like, you know, who, who are my real friends? You know, right now this is the, the flavor of the month. Uh, in, in three months, he may be into different flavors.
Uh, <laughs> that's a very uh, apt way of putting it. Now, who do you think Kanye slash Ye slash West is really talking to at this point with his ramblings? Obviously, it's not the entirety of the audience which embraced him as an artist. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a much smaller group. Who do you think is really uh, interested in what he's saying? Some people say it's it's very like downscale uh, whites. Other people say uh, it's it's uh, down uh, it's it's uh, it's young black men. Other folks would say it's basically antisocial incel folks online. Some people say it's a combination of three. Some people say something else. Who do you think his core constituency is at this stage? Yeah, that's a fascinating question because uh, Kanye and other people in his genre seem seem to me to when they when they're criticizing Jews to be primarily coming out of a place of being anti-white. And I think for many exactly. black people, many black people in particular, they see Jews as the quintessence of of whiteness. Exactly, and correct. so all the ambivalent and often negative feelings they have towards white people, they they then impute those to Jews and multiply them by by three, three, four, five times. So I think he's probably appealing to uh that element of the, the black and and you know, people of color community that is anti-white and also that element of the black and color community that is anti-Jewish. I think he's also appealing to low IQ white people who just have a, you know, a knee-jerk uh, belief in conspiracy series, theories, you know, hatred of the, the global elites, hatred of Jews. So I, I can't imagine that the audience that he's appealing to is a, a formidable one. It, it seems to be, you know, bunch of marginalized losers and anytime you build a movement composed of marginalized losers yeah they can do a lot of destruction but they re- can't really construct anything so I, exactly. I don't see any indication that anything that uh, Kanye, Milo and Nick are, are doing right now is going to build anything all I can see is that it's going to destroy things because they're speaking in a way that just primarily appeals to marginalized losers. I was just listening to Nick Fuentes on Alex Jones with, with Kanye West, and he said all sorts of inflammatory, completely false things about the Talmud and Judaism, how it's A-OK with, with pedophilia, like just awful, hateful, stupid, wrong, factually incorrect, mm-hmm. dumb thing, things, just, just tossing it off that you know Nick you know, might have seen in a tweet somewhere and, and just, just you know, assumes that it's accurate because it's useful for him. So there's like such a level of carelessness with, with facts with, with Nick Fuentes that it, it almost doesn't matter whether or not he, he means it. It's just, it's such reckless disregard for what is true. If he feels like it serves, you know, whatever ends he's seeking that I don't feel bad for the pushback that uh, Nick Fuentes gets. So even though I don't believe that one could primarily define him as uh, white nationalist, Holocaust denier or anti-Semite, I'm, it doesn't bother me that he gets slammed with with this and, and other things because there's just so many reckless things that that he says that he he brings on the opprobrium that he receives. Absolutely. Now the thing with Fuentes is that he does promote himself. He even called him genius. He literally called himself a genius. Uh, <laughs> so he thinks very highly of his intellect. Uh, he's obviously not stupid because he at least able to have the veneer of high intelligence. I don't think he actually had very intelligence, 
but he has the veneer of it, which means he can't be of low intelligence because in order to be uh, someone who can put on this veneer, you have to have at least something going for you intellectually or else you will be able to pull off the facade. But uh, when it comes to Fuentes's statements, uh, he really should know better because, like I said, he, he's not a moron. But it's like he doesn't care. And if he doesn't care about the truth of what he's saying, it, it begs the question of why people should listen to him at all. Right. He's been captured by his audience in large part. He knows the, the red meat that he, he dishes out. And he knows how that you know, helps to make him su- successful. What, what uh, enables you to have success as a funded is that you give your audience what they want. So if Tucker Carlson started right. doing segments on how the, the Democrats are right on this or that issue... It would, you know, destroy his his ratings. If if Tucker Carlson started doing segments on, uh, you know, social media companies had had good rational and moral and pro social reasons for banning Alex Jones or for you know making some other decisions, then he would alienate himself from his audience. If uh, Tucker Carlson was to say, you know, sometimes the elites are right and the popular perception is wrong, he would completely alienate himself from his audience. So. I think Nick Fuentes has been captured by his audience, like you know every successful pundit. Uh, Tucker Carlson, I think, has been captured by his audience. And it's not necessarily a conscious decision. People go where the love is, you know. People go where the, the money is. People go where the attention is, and the views, and the clicks, and the likes, and the the, the retweets. So both both Nick and and Tucker, I think, you know, turn out a lot of material consciously or unconsciously just to give people what they want. So. I don't think either Nick or Tucker are primarily forming people or moving people or shifting people in a certain direction. They are reflecting a certain, what strikes me as like low IQ dissident impulses. Now, this begs a very good question. I mean, we could talk about, that's a whole show, talking about Carlson. Uh, and we're already getting inching toward the end of this discussion, I'm very sorry to say. Uh, but there's still some stuff left to chat about, such as what I'm about to bring up. Uh, what kind of audience do you think Fuentes attracts at this point? Because I don't think his audience is necessarily the one that's enamored of uh Kanye slash Ye slash West, even though there's obviously tremendous overlap. But uh, I think Fuentes' audience is surprisingly non-white, because people talk about being like a white nationalist, white supremacist. What I've seen, he attracts quite a few non-whites, uh, but his, his audience is surely mostly white. Uh, and I would say it's probably not even millennials, but Zoomers who are not very socially adept, who are probably not attractive to, to the opposite sex, probably quite a few of them closeted gays, uh, and uh, Zoomers who are, are relatively, in a comprehensive sense, low-status uh, individuals. Uh, now, I could be wrong there, but that seems to be the sociology of Nick Fuentes' griper uh, brigade. Uh, what, what sort of person do you think uh, follows Nick Fuentes? Seriously, not like looking at him as pointing and laughing in this day and age. Yeah, everyone that I've gotten to know, and, and they've all been online, I, I don't think I know anyone in real life who has <laughs> high regard for, for Nick Fuentes. I mean, I have high regard for his charisma and his live streaming skills. I don't have high regard for the things he says, but everyone that I've become acquainted with online who has high regard for Nick Fuentes usually turned out to be an alcoholic, um, you know, conspiracy theorist, uh, you know, a marginalized loser. And... Mm-hmm. And or just young, naive people, you know, looking for, you know, meaning, purpose, excitement. Uh, so so they're not they're not usually graduates of Harvard. You know, they're not usually doctors, lawyers, dentists, accountants. They're not successful CEOs. 
you know, people who are either marginalized losers or people, you know, in their teens and early twenties, you know, kind of looking for a way of, of making sense out of life and who want, you know, excitement, right. And, and want to be you know, part of something that's world transforming and that's a little bit edgy or, you know, moderately edgy. And it, it's a way to feel something, I think for, for a lot of people that it, you know, it speaks to them. So, you know, I'd say like the average IQ of, you know, Nick Fuentes's audience is about 100. Uh, I think that, you know, the average IQ of, you know, Tucker Carlson's show is probably, you know, 105. I think the average IQ of our audience is something like, you know, 120, 125. Uh-huh. So there's a much smaller potential audience that we're speaking to Absolutely. because anyone with an IQ below 115 is, you know, just not going to understand what, what we're talking about. So Nick mm-hmm. and Tucker are both very good at, uh, you know, speaking to that, that prole audience. They are. I think that Fuentes is more outwardly, uh, even though he's not a prole himself, he's more outwardly oriented toward proletarianism. However, he also delivered a bizarre monologue, which talked about how much he hates working class people and those who work for a living, whom he derisively calls uh, wages. Uh, So this is interesting. It seems like he has this audience of proles, but at the same time, he's giving the backhand to proles uh, in a way that is really just by any uh, standard of social decency disgusting and yet they like him a lot of not not anywhere near most of them but he definitely gets an audience of them it's bizarre well it's not unusual that a celebrity hates his audience i mean (laughs) it's not it's not unusual that people hate the source of their income so this is this is very common i i I don't think uh, that nick would willingly spend his spare time hanging out with proles and marginalized losers that there you know there is a you know, an element of his, his stream, which would be much higher IQ and, and more successful. And, you know, I think Nick would feel much more comfortable. But we, we can't really communicate with people who are more than uh, two IQ deviations, you know, standard deviations either below us or above us. So you know, I think Nick's probably someone around, you know, 125 IQ and that he has the ability to speak to people down to 95 IQ and he also has the ability to speak with people maybe up to, you know, 145 IQ, but he would much rather hang out with people, you know, with IQs in the 120s, 130s, 140s, than, you know, with the great mass of his audience, which are probably around uh, 100 IQ. I don't know that a lot of people stay in his audience. I think he he has a lot of cycling in and out. And certainly as he's become more marginalized, it's harder for people to cycle in because he's harder to get to. He has his own platform now where he streams, but uh, it's it's uh, not obviously not boosted by uh, <laughs> mainstream social media websites or anything like that. So it's, it's you know, it's it's uh that's the situation there i i I find this whole thing though with with kanye slash yay slash westby very fascinating and very uh sad and uh i i I really think he's on a bad trajectory and it's a shame because even though i don't think much of his intelligence or his skills as a quote-unquote artist i don't like seeing somebody doing this to the to to him or herself it's just crazy uh and it's highly destructive uh on the whole because it could also inspire others to self and this is these are always tragic things but you know a lot of people today just don't seem to care i i really do uh think that uh what's happening with him uh is a sign of the times and it's definitely a sign of very troubled times yeah so 
So I, I think I'll go back to point point number one of my perspective, and, and that just came to me a few minutes before we did this show when I was listening to Kanye talk on Alex Jones that, one, he regards himself as an alcoholic, and yet, two, he was drinking and smoking when he made I'm Going Death Card 3 on the Jews. So th this is someone in the grip of a compulsion that apparently stronger than he is. And I think if he, if he got sober, I think we'd see very different behavior from, from Kanye West. And so mm -hmm. th this is true for, for a lot of people. If you get into a spot of gratitude, it can, it can uh, just completely transform how you see, see the world. So you can think about your boss and think about everything that's wrong with your boss, or you can think about the things that are good with your boss. You can think about family and, you know, the kind and loving things they've done for you. And from that place, you'll act and speak very differently than if you were just, you know, fixated and cataloging you know, everything that your family's, you know, done wrong or done, done bad by you. So I think when people can get into a place of, of gratitude for the kindness and love that's been shown to them and then wanting to hold on to those relationships where they've experienced kindness and love, then you see reality much more clearly and you behave in a much socially responsible manner. But if you create a, a following, which I think Nick has done and Kanye has done and Richard has done in the past, following that is primarily based around hatred for, for our groups, then that encourages your worst impulses. And Certainly. so one has to sober up, which means not just you know, quitting the, the drugs and, and the alcohol, and, and the pornography and you know, self-destructive relationships, but also get into a place where you, you know, keep at the forefront of your mind the relationships that are most important to you. So most of my closest friendships are with Orthodox Jews, and I mm -hmm. kind of carry a sense of those connections with me, you know, even when I'm live streaming with you know, secularist Joseph Cotto or you know, when I'm walking down the street, those are the most important relationships. Like that is the container in which I, I live my life. I, I have a sense of the love and connection that I right. feel and experience within Orthodox Judaism. And then I carry that out into everything else I do. So I wouldn't want to be seen doing anything antisocial. I wouldn't want to be seen you know, doing anything uh, bad or just even looking inappropriate because it could you know, hurt and affect those most important relationships. Now, if your most important relationships are by people who are consumed with, with hatred and you know, loathing and, and fear of, of our groups, then that's only going to encourage the, the worst in you. So people have to connect to, to those who have shown them love and to maintain those, those relationships. And if you're trying to fill yourself with you know, outside attention, which seems like what Kanye is doing and what, what Nick Fuentes is doing, you're just going to be a bottomless hole. That's also like a Richard Spencer. He, mm -hmm. whenever you used to see him on a live stream, he was always drinking liquor. Now he sounds, even though he's gone yeah. you know, to, towards the, the left in many ways, he speaks in a much more sober way these days. Why does he speak in a more sober way? Because he's quit drinking, right? So Richard Spencer on alcohol and on drugs is a very different person from a Richard Spencer who's sober. I think uh, Kanye West, who is abstaining from drugs and alcohol, is going to be a very different person than a Kanye West indulging drugs and alcohol. And then a Kanye West who is focusing on those relationships that are most important to him from people who have given him love and kindness and 
gets into a place of feeling gratitude for people who have extended love and kindness for him. If he if he lives in that space, if he's connected to to that feeling and then is in that mode, he will make you know much more pro-social decisions. He will make you know wiser, more, more sober decisions. So you can you can get hooked on a lot of things, including you know fear and loathing for out groups, you know drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, etc. But we have to connect to those relationships that are most important because then we see the world more clearly. And we behave in a much more effective manner. Without a question, I, I mean that's, that's I, I that that, that I, I agree with that entirely. Uh, you know, before we uh, really do begin to wrap things up, uh, what Richard Spencer's arc has been a truly. Uh, a sounding one. He was somebody who was very openly, uh, one might say, white nationalist or even white supremacist. Uh, and he now is is someone who sounds totally, uh, to me, uh, you, you cannot separate him from the rhetoric on MSNBC. Now, I totally understand leaving the white nationalist slash white supremacist movement. It's a good thing. These are toxic movements. Uh, but uh, it's it's to the extent that he has has changed his views it seems to me almost artificial in that he would just you know do this 180 it's really really to me strange typically one would think that people would reconsider their views have more nuanced takes this that the other thing not just chuck everything out and then adopt everything from the other side Uh, anything to say about this luke well I, i think if you simply sober up you then take into consideration the the effect of your words on your most important relationships in your social position. So I think you can account for much of Richard Spencer's change from simply sobering up and he wants to hang out with a certain crowd. He wants to have a certain life. And the way he was speaking when he was under the influence of drugs and alcohol is simply not compatible with the type of life that he likes. So I think most of us, you know, resonate to a certain aesthetic and then we develop an ideology that justifies that aesthetic. Or most of us resonate with a certain social crowd or social group, and then we develop, you know, our, our politics or our you know, religious denomination based on, you know, what will connect us to that group of people that we most want to hang out with. So I think a lot of it is just sobering up. But I, I still I don't feel like uh, Richard's on a positive trajectory because I've sensed zero introspection about the negative effect he's had on other people. So as soon as I hear Richard Spencer talking about how, you know, I feel like I harmed a lot of people. I feel like I led a lot of people in a bad direction. I feel like I was an antisocial influence. I feel like I encourage many bad things in people. I feel like I, you know, I was getting drunk on having people, you know, give me Heil Hitler salutes. Um, I think that I had, you know, very, negative and damaging effect on the MAGA movement and on on Donald Trump. As soon as we start to hear Richard Spencer, like taking into consideration the enormous amount of harm that he has done, then I think there's reason to rejoice and think, oh, this guy's on a good trajectory. And I'd say the same thing for for Nick Fuentes and Kanye West and Milo Yiannopoulos. So Milo's got religion, but I've never heard any introspection from him. Okay, I need to now make amends for all the gratuitous harm that I did to completely innocent people I, I've got none of that from Milo, so I don't take his you know, religious transformation very seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. Nick Fuentes has undoubtedly had a negative influence on many people's lives. I, I get you know, no sense of introspection from him. Uh, Kanye West has had a negative influence on many people's lives, particularly his performances over the past five weeks. So as soon as we start getting introspection, 
from these people on how they have needlessly affected, influenced, directed, shaped, you know, twisted people in negative directions. As soon as people start taking into account, you know, what they've done to other people, to society, to, to discourse generally, then then I think there's reason to be optimistic about their trajectory. But until that happens, uh, I would be more pessimistic than optimistic about the trajectory of uh, Richard Spencer, Nick Fuentes, Milo Yiannopoulos, Ali Alexander, Akbar, uh, Alex Jones, uh, Kanye West, you know, that, that whole crowd. Until you take responsibility for the harm you've done and start making concrete efforts to clean up your side of the street and making amends for your, your negative effects, I don't have a lot of hope for you. Mm-hmm. No, I agree entirely. Uh, what uh, do you think the future has in store for, uh, we talked about Kanye slash Ye slash West, but as we do wrap things up, what do you think the future has in store for Milo Yiannopoulos? Because he seriously wants his fame back. You could tell. He, and, and he, he's just basically an attention whore's attention whore. Uh, but uh, he's not getting that level of uh, notoriety he had several years ago. Do you think he'll just continue on this path? Or do think eventually he'll just become someone who is uh, a dropout from the internet? What do you think is going to become of him? Because even though he doesn't have that attention, he seriously wants it, but he has no prospect of regaining it. Well, he has a lot of talent. He has a lot of brains, and he's you know he's still around and he's still able to capture our attention. So I would I would not bet on him you know totally flaming out, self self destructing. On the other hand, I don't yet have hope for him, but I think his his future is very much up to him, and and it's entirely possible that you can say words. And you can, you know, construct, you know, an identity, in his case, a Christian identity, just like architects shape buildings, but then the buildings shape us. And so it's possible the words that Milo is saying about his his newfound, you know, love of Jesus and Christianity, it's entirely possible that, that he is constructing something that will end up shaping him eventually. Like right now, he's using Christianity for his own means. And Nick Fuentes is using Christianity for his own means. And, and it seems like Kanye West is using Christianity for his own means. But sometimes we try to use people or institutions or ideas or movements. And then only in retrospect do we see that they then were using us. And so it's, it's entirely possible that Milo may right now building, you know, a temple of empty words uh, about Jesus that uh, might become a real temple that uh, perhaps shapes him in, in a positive direction. And finally, uh, Nick Fuentes, what do you think the future has in store for him? He's probably, uh, aside from Kanye, the most interesting person here because he had a a massive following uh, a few years ago on YouTube. He's gained like 250,000 views per episode between people who watched during a live stream and those who watched the replay. Uh, And now he's down to his website where he gets, I think, on average about 6,000 views live, 6,000 views afterward. Uh, You know, it's, it's a fraction of what he used to get. Uh, and uh, he's getting older. He he's he's in his uh, I think mid twenties now, uh, or he's I, I think he is in his. Let me let me think. Yeah, I believe he is in his mid twenties. Uh, he'd have to be. So uh, he, he doing the whole precocious uh, Alex P. Keaton with quote unquote base politics thing uh, cannot last. <laughs> it's it's uh, he, and he's getting more and more marginalized. It's certainly his thing with Kanye slash Ye slash West is going to further 
put him on the margins. Uh, I, I don't know if he'll have an audience uh, as time goes along because a lot of people cycle in and out of there. He's not uh, widely available enough now in his show uh, to have a lot of people cycling in. What do you think the future holds for him? Well, he, has, he has so much talent. He has so much charisma. He is, he is so glib. He, he is such a you know, great speaker, uh, live streamer. Uh, on, on the other hand, he has, you know, ghettoized himself. He has, you know, essentially, you know, made his world smaller and smaller. So there are these, you know, contrary forces that uh, are working against each other. So I think, yeah, 50% chance he's got a good future that he can turn things around. Uh, 50% chance that he just makes his world smaller and smaller. I think out of everyone that we've talked about, he's the most psychologically stable. I think... He, Overall, watching his streams, they're not overall, you know, some hateful, antisocial thing, even though they contain, you know, gratuitously hateful and you know, some antisocial elements. But uh, most of his, his streaming is just kind of, you know, fun Zoomer level uh, entertainment. So he doesn't have the, you know, the Heil Hitler toxicity of, of Richard Spencer. So, yeah, I think... Very good chance, 50% chance that uh, he can expand his world, expand his life, you know, turn things into a more positive direction. He seems the, the most stable out of everyone that we've talked about. And so, therefore, I think he is the most adept at, you know, grappling with reality and being effective, you know, with, with reality. And uh, this is a question about Zoomers, because obviously you cannot really discuss what is going on with Fuentes or Kanye slash Ye slash West and not talk about Zoomers. Zoomers to me seem particularly troubled generation. They are the generation, and I say it's as millennial, uh, I believe you'd be generation X, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, the, the Zoomers seem to me to be a group that is uniquely untethered to reality. They're not very interested in consistency. Uh, if you talk to them about hypocrisy, as I've tried to do, they're, they're not terribly interested in it. Uh, even millennials were interested in not being hypocrites, but Zoomers, they kind of like have a detachment from life that's quote unquote ironic, uh, and they don't take much of anything seriously. I think a lot of this is because they are the first totally online, and in some cases extremely online generation, where they grew up with these uh, pseudo-anonymous uh, internet accounts, uh, which would lead them to adopt and discard identities in rapid succession. So after a while, they do stuff and they're never held to account for it. And it's sort of like the old rules don't apply to them, or so they think. Uh, but I think Zoomers are very bad when it comes to uh, socialization and uh, when it comes to dealing with adversity and when it comes to basically managing their emotions. I think you certainly see a lot of that in Nick and his followers. Uh, anything to say about Zoomers? Do you think I'm off base? on base what's going on I, I tend to be skeptical of of too much assertion about uh generations so i, I think uh, zoomers will be uh, just as productive and, and just as flawed as as uh prior generations i mean obviously technology they they live more of their lives online and so there will be both a, a price to, to pay from that and good things to come from that so I, I have as much uh, hope uh, and, and expectation from, from Zoomers as, as any other uh, generation that we've had uh, roll through here. And finally, if uh, Kanye slash Ye slash West were listening to this, I don't think he ever will. But uh, if he did, what advice would you give him to turn his ship around? 
get away A, uh, get get sober, get a sponsor, work the 12 steps, get get a good non-Jewish psychiatrist, get a good non-Jewish uh, psychologist, uh, therapist, uh, get a, you know, sober companion, get, you know, you know, friends who, who are good people, uh, get, get guidance from Christian clergy that you trust, like, you know, Nick and, and Kanye, you know, wave their Christianity around like a bloody flag, but you never hear any Christian clergy actually supporting them. So I think if, if Kanye and Nick were part of a concrete Christian community where they'd get feedback from, you know, the fellow members of the community where they would have, you know, clergy who they would, you know, listen to that, uh, that would have a sobering effect and, and a productive and, and positive effect on their lives. Most people do better living life in community rather than as isolated, atomized individuals. Only isolated, atomized individuals can say and do the crazy things that uh, Nick Fuentes, Kanye West, Ali Alexander, Milo Yiannopoulos have done. If these people all along were part of a concrete Christian community with, with rules and traditions, and they were getting feedback from other members of their community, and you know they had clergy who they they need to listen to. That they would not have gotten into the mess that they've made. And that is tonight's uh, show, Luke. Thank you very much for stopping by. I hope to see you here again very soon. There's no shortage of interesting stuff for us to chat about. And if you wouldn't mind sharing, where can people find your stuff? Oh, great! Yeah, so I'm on Twitter backslash Luke Ford, uh, Facebook. Backslash Luke, Luke C. Ford. Uh, website's LukeFord.net. I've got two YouTube channels, uh, Luke Ford Livestreams 18 and uh, Luke is back. I'm, I'm also on uh, have Rumble, backslash Luke Ford. I'm on Odyssey. And uh, yeah, send me an email, Luke is back at gmail.com. Excellent. And uh, I hope people do check your stuff out. It is very interesting, and I do look forward to our next chat, as I mentioned. Uh, Once again, Luke, thank you very much for stopping by today. Thank you. Take care, Joseph. G'day, mate. Forty here. So, upon reflection, upon watching all of Kanye's performance on Alex Jones, I want to do like a Richard Spencer hot new take and say I was wrong about Kanye. He is more compelling than the clips and the media portrayals reveal, right? He makes little more sense, right? I'm not saying a lot more sense, little more sense than you know, mainstream media portrayals give you. He's, you know, he's asking, why can't we talk about these things? Why can't we recognize the humanity of everyone, including you know, Nazis and, and communists and Hitler and Stalin and Mao? And think he's got an exaggerated sense of uh, Zionist influence and Jewish influence and you know I don't think he's a king of rational discourse I don't think he's a king of you know evidence-based argumentation but there's something something childlike and almost touching about some of it right? and, and at the same time I have no problem with people who say oh it's poisonous and it's uh, deteriorating public discourse. So I'm all over the map, as you can tell, as usual. Like, I was just thinking, like, I'm in La Perouse, and a lot of Muslims here in full regalia, and 
I'm here with my fringes out, you know, my yarmulke on, and there's absolutely no negative vibe between us, right? So I'm thinking there are a lot of advantages having society where it's incentivized not to stress differences, but to stress, you know, what you have in common. You're, you know, you're all Aussies, or you're all at least in Australia, and to kind of mute, you know, religious, racial, ethnic differences and so discourage religious, racial, ethnic nationalisms you know, in the interest of civic nationalism. And that's not to deny exclusive religious truth claims, but how do you carry them? You carry them in a heavy way, in a way that puts people off, or do you maybe not emphasize them. And just because you're a civic nationalist, look, we're all Australians, you know, we're all patriotic Australians here, doesn't mean that you don't have religious, ideological, and other forms of uh, nationalism going on. But maybe you just don't talk about them publicly, right? So there's something to be said for the power it comes from civic nationalist identity and it's never exclusive right still got your exclusive all right these are all military installations so you still got your your racial religious ethnic and ideological understandings of, of nationalism but when those expressions are frowned upon then you don't express them publicly you know i was walking with this uh, Israeli Orthodox Jew in Los Angeles and he was like yelling out death to the Arabs <laughs> it's like I, I understand your sentiment I just don't think that's a good idea to yell out loud in front of Jews or non-Jews right? just maybe play it cool right? you don't have to you know, wear your hatred for Arabs on your sleeve also I don't think with that intensity of outrage you know, hatred, you know, really serves you at this time and place, right? If you're about to go into battle, right, then that level of intensity serves you. But normally, you know, it doesn't serve you to have antipathy for our groups at more than about a 3 out of 10. Now, Fred Luskin, Stanford psychologist, wrote the book on forgiveness called Forgive for Good. But he doesn't work with intractable enmities between groups where there's no political solution. So he works with people in Northern Ireland, right, Protestants and Catholics, right, but that's only after there's been a political solution found. So he doesn't work with Middle Eastern Muslims and Jews because he doesn't like to feel bad as there's no political solution for the enmity right now. He just doesn't think that his work can be effective. So that's powerful. If you've got a festering, you know, open conflict for which there is no political solution, then forgiveness is not necessarily going to be viable. And this is Fred Luskin, right? The author of Forgive for Good. Right? So if you're living in an area that is riven by you know, racial, religious, ethnic, or ideological conflict, and there's no political solution, right? So 
Some Americans right now are living in a situation where they feel like there's no political solution for the enmity between their side and the other side. And forgiveness may not be effective in these situations. This is Fred Luskin talking. This isn't Forty talking. This isn't Richard Spencer talking. This isn't Kanye West talking or Alex Jones. This is Fred Luskin, Stanford psychologist, forgive for good dude, about political solution. Uh, you're not going to make much progress on forgiveness, like where the wa- where the wounds are raw, right? Where the conflict remains existential, as intellectuals would like to say, but where conflict remains you know, life and death in your feeling, then and forgiveness is a lot more difficult. So much so that. Uh, Fred Luskin and Stanford don't even want to attempt it. And it's that difficult. So, yeah, generally speaking, having a forgiving attitude serves you. And Fred Luskin used the Amy, unbelievable example, I think, of Amy Bull, an American university student who came to South Africa to do good, and her killers saw her as a representative of apartheid and, and murdered her. Then her parents, uh, to deal with their grief, set up a foundation in her name that uh, employed her killers and worked with her killers. And that's kind of unbelievable from, from my perspective, but if that helped them deal with their pain. So if forgiveness is good for you selfishly, then you know, who am I to argue against employing your daughter's killers, right? So, if you've been through unbelievable amounts of pain and you get to lead a better life because you've learned to forgive the other side, then, then you know, I have no argument against you, right? Whatever gets you through the night. But where the conflicts have no political solution, then uh, forgiveness is lot more difficult. Now, some people may adopt an attitude of release. So Fred Luskin's thinking forgiveness means that you accept that you can't undo the past. Right? You can't make the past better. You can't fix the past. So if you just recognize that limitation that you can't fix the past, then uh, forgiveness is really just release and letting go. There's, there's nothing you can do about spilt milk. And he says that we will be more effective at life, we'll be happier, we'll see things more clearly, we'll be more at ease with ourselves and with other people if we adopt an attitude of gratitude and love. Right? So think about someone who's been kind to you. Think about someone who's been loving to you. And come from that place. Right? Rather than you know, the, the place of uh, hatred and anger and resentment. And maybe come from the place of, of gratitude for having had that experience of, of being loved and treasured and nurtured and had, you know, beautiful things done for you. 
that you'll be more effective, that you'll be calmer, that you'll be healthier, that you'll be happier. Right? So I, I deal with a lot of uh, political, religious, cultural conflict on my show. And so when, when people's wounds are raw, uh, you're not going not gonna to make much progress. But uh, there's just over there little ways that Captain Cook first set foot on Australia. So just across the bay there, a few miles away, maybe two miles away, that's where Captain Cook landed. These used to be military installations here, keeping Australia safe. But I, I like Luskin's insights. I think they're profound. Like, think of someone who loved you, and think of the gratitude that you feel for someone who's been kind to you, and then come from that place, right? rather than keeping a tally of people who you hate. So, forty here. Let's listen to uh, Richard Spencer's latest Twitter space. So a lot of people are being let back on to Twitter. And I've seen a number of these accounts. That, to be frank, they're not really accounts that I like. <laughs> Andrew Rangland. They never came back. But um, I, I also value the idea of having a clear terms of service. And, you know, you play ball with the TOS, you get to stay on. Uh, and uh, really focusing on destroying bot traffic. And so Andrew Anglin is back on Twitter, apparently, but he's not the Andrew Anglin of Daily Stormer fame. He has considerably moderated his approach. He's a, he's a kinder, gentler Andrew Anglin. It sounds like he's willing to play within the terms of service. So does he deserve a second chance? Remember... Richard said he didn't expect that Elon Musk would make any substantial difference to Twitter, which is completely false. Promoting an authentic account, uh, I think that's overall a good thing. And uh, Musk hasn't always lived up to his own principles, but, well, there it is. Nobody ever lives up to all of their own principles, so that's not a big deal. Uh, one of these accounts that was a letback on, among various other kind of paleoconservatives and... Uh, uh, Catholics and so on. One of the accounts that was pretty notable was Andrew Anglin. So Anglin, as I'm sure you know, is probably one of the most notorious people on earth, I guess. Um, and kind of fascinating in that way to be objective about things. Uh, he was very much into conspiracy theories. Uh, of, of note, someone who's researched him told me that his first ever host was actually anti-NATO. Think of that what you will. Might very well just be a coincidence. Um, he, of course, got into neo-Nazism and then got into the Trump movement. And, you know, I can't even remember all of the different fads, uh, I guess is the best way to describe them, that he's gotten into over the years. White Sharia, I remember that one. The attack on e-girls. Uh, we're just conservatives. Uh, I think he had a banner saying this is Ronald Reagan's favorite website. I mean, there, there obviously has a lot of uh, genuine humor involved in this. Uh, and on and on and on. I, I remember a good friend of mine was staying with me about, uh, let's say, a year and a half ago. And we were reliving uh, over a drink the all right days. And I very rarely visited Andrew Eklund's website. 
I would kind of only do it in times like this, actually. And I was thinking, like, I wonder what he's saying. We visited uh, Daily Stormer, and literally... So... The Daily Stormer went to war on behalf of Richard Spencer when uh, Richard Spencer's mother got uh, attacked by this uh, Jewish real estate agent in Whitefish, Montana, and threatened. All right, so Richard Spencer fought back on behalf of his mother, and the Daily Stormer threatened the Jewish real estate agent Tanya Hirsch, who's universally presented as the, as the good person in these interactions by the mainstream media. And uh, Richard said, look, I'd really just like for this controversy to go away. He lives in Whitefish. He doesn't want trouble with his neighbors. But uh, Andrew England and the Daily Stormer did go to war on behalf of Richard Spencer against Tanya Hirsch. Every blog was on vaccines. So I guess not surprisingly, almost inevitably, when you look back at it, he went with every kind of right-wing extremist fad, and vaccines was the next one. Uh, I, I know for certain, actually, someone sent me this link that he is uh, very much on board in the uh, yay movement. So I was thinking, now, I'm just going to look at the power dynamics of this. I'm not really going to make a uh, value judgment or anything. So someone sent me a link to the latest, and uh, I saw... every. I, 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 it, brought, it was almost like entering a time machine. It just took me back to the crazy alt-right days. Now, to be fair here, you know, on the one hand, there is a kind of uh, wonderful craziness about the memeology of people. Yeah, there was a time and there was a place where it seemed like anything would go. When we were young and naive and silly. When it seemed like we could change the world. And we believe that we could unite under radical love and inclusion. But uh, reality tended to be much more complicated than that. These memes that is funny uh, and outlandish. But of course, I'd be overly fair in saying that. I, I think maybe at best at this point, this kind of deranged teenager anime masturbator aesthetic is uh, maybe useless at best. And there is something about it that when you start looking at these memes, it, it, it kind of, I don't know, gets you in the mind of a serial killer. It's rather creepy. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll just say that. Look, the, the outright death toll is pretty low when compared with the you know, Black Lives Matter death toll. So... The alt-right hasn't unleashed a whole bunch of serial killers. Uh, they've been more than neo-Nazi white nationalist types. There's something genuinely creepy about it. But anyway, he is totally on board the A-train. It was also allowed back on the Twitter very recently. I, I think uh, three days ago, let's say. Now, I think there's some interesting power dynamics going on here. And so I'm going to evaluate people in their actions in terms of what are they trying to promote and not necessarily, you know, do they have principles or, or is this part of a policy that's universal, etc. So there has been a move to DeSantis that happened actually long before the midterms uh, and the anti-Trump analysts that we saw from them right after that. I remember Joe Biden said when he DeSantis and kind of dissed Trump and this was, you know, six months ago, long before the midterms. Um, Elon seems to be his lot in 
with, let's call them the all-white. So he had this space that the other day uh, that I didn't listen to the whole thing. I listened to a few highlights, but I, I can just say the only way to describe it is utterly embarrassing. Here we have a man who's a billionaire who probably doesn't get called a genius uh, these days, but certainly a year ago, he had people eating out of the palm of his hand and declaring him a genius. He's going to save the world from global warming and pollution and send us to Mars to boot, etc. And he's hanging out with e-grifters and lowlifes. Well, guess what? In some circumstances, Elon Musk is a genius. In other circumstances, he's embarrassing. Like, like many of us. Like Richard is good in some areas, really stupid in other areas. So Richard has really developed a loathing for Elon Musk. Just thinks he's a scam artist. And uh, that may be an element of Elon Musk's approach, but you know, scam artist is not an appropriate title, I think, for the world's richest man. And people who are this best described really as alt-right. They kind of use some of the England or 4chan terminology. They pick up on some of the memes, but it's all more Republican-friendly and kind of defensible. You could deflect away from any serious intent involved. And here you have this billionaire talking with him. I mean, it's just incredible on some level. Um, the level of slumming kind of can't be underestimated. Well, Peter Thiel has also had his conversations with uh, dissidents on the right. So, of course, uh, Thiel and Elon Musk, you know, used to used to run uh, PayPal together. This uh, wacky character and uh, national security concerns over Russia, but this is uh, Richard Spencer's twice space talking about Elon Musk uh, doing a space with Kim.com who is he prolific in uh, creating sites akin to the Pirate Bay and uh, so Richard describes this Elon Musk space as being with, with people adjacent to the alt-right uh, so you know on one level if we just look at these data points and we say alright Trump is He's, he's a Republican now. He's, he's overtly telling you to vote Republican, and he's on the DeSantis train. Musk. Um, he's is Musk. bringing back England, is that, is that being understood as kind of part of that motivation? That whatever you want to say about England, and I don't think Elon endorses England by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, nevertheless, that crazy alt-right Dionysian energy coincided, at the very least, with Trump's election in 2016, and might very well have been decisive. Decisive, really? After it is an election, which was a Hail Mary pass to begin with. Well, I find it hard to believe Somehow, that it was decisive. You might not like it, and I don't, I genuinely, I'm not just saying this to be PC or something, I genuinely don't think you are, would endorse any of that stuff. Uh, you might not like it, but you might need it. And, um, but what's kind of fascinating about this? Man, here I am on the edge of the world and I, I can't get good steady internet connection, man. Just just trying to play a Twitter space. 